Welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider, also known as Tata. I'm excited for you all to listen to today's podcast with Conceivabilities. And Conceivabilities is a surrogacy group matching families with a surrogate. They walk you through the entire process beginning to end. And one thing I'm really excited for you all to listen to today is, you know, growing up, surrogacy was not common. I didn't know about it. I think I started really learning about it within the past five, maybe 10 years. And there's just so much less of a stigma about it. And why is that? Why is it more common now? What is the difference? It's still not legal in all states. I think people are eager to learn just the process of finding a surrogate. Is is it as simple as just matching the parent to the surrogate? Founder of Conceivabilities, Nazca Fontes, really was dissatisfied with the current state of donor recruitment, whether that was egg donor, sperm donor, surrogacy. She decided that there has to be a better way throughout this entire process. We asked her, why surrogacy? What is it about surrogacy that you really wanted to start your career in? And what I learned is surrogacy is actually the most successful treatment of infertility. One of the comparisons to the Tata community is they start with milestones and we start with milestones. They walk you through, whether it's the background check to finally getting pregnant, to the entire pregnancy process, delivering the child, they're with you hand in hand the entire step. Similar to what we do with your children, step-by-step, whether it's Six months, 12 months, 18 months, we don't just stop after a month. We walk you through the entire process. One of the most important things in a successful surrogacy journey is the match. Uh, We have what we call matching matters, and we believe heavily that investing in the relationship up front, kind of aligning the parties along a value system, along what expectations each party has, you know, their hopes, their dreams, their fears. And getting all of that aired out in the beginning really lays the foundation for a successful match. I'm excited for you all to listen to today's podcast and learn about the surrogacy process. Today's Tata's tip of the week is narrating play using small sentences and phrases. And this doesn't mean you need to be annoying and talk the entire time you're playing with your child. But whether your child is three months old or three years old, you want to just use small phrases and words really just to talk about what they're doing. If you are building blocks, block on top or blue block. You can even bounce a ball outside in the backyard and you can say bounce ball, big ball, small ball. So you don't need to talk in sentences or in circles about exactly what your child is doing. You can even just narrate what you're doing. You can go back and forth. Babies and toddlers really learn and process language from language rich environments. The more language, the better. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do it at every second of the day. You're going to exhaust yourself. Use two to three word phrases. Keep it simple. We've talked about that before. Add in wait time. So all these different tips that I'm teaching you guys, use them, but use them during play. Make it fun. (gasps) Open and just repeat it a few times. You don't have to drive yourself crazy. But whether your child is giving a doll a bath or if they're taking a bath, water on, use your hands, gesture, get on their level, make eye contact, and just keep it simple. So today's tip is really just using language during play and narrating. I'm very excited to have on the podcast the founder of Conceivabilities, Nazca Fontes. Welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So just to start everyone off, what is Conceivabilities? Conceivabilities is a company that specializes in recruiting, matching, and project managing intended parents going through uh, either infertility treatment or family building measures Mm -hmm. with the help of a surrogate and or an egg donor. So as a company, we facilitate that recruitment, the matching, and the project management on their behalf, and we bring together all of the participants and the professionals that are needed to make a journey successful. Amazing. So why surrogacy? What led you to really be interested in this whole um, topic? Because I know growing up, it really it's not that there was a stigma to it, but it really wasn't that known. So why are you so involved in this, and why are you so interested sure. in it? Sure. You know, it's so interesting. I've been in this field uh, 30 years now and in a third party, which is what we call surrogacy and egg donation for 27 of those years specifically. So a long, long time. I go back to, you know, nearly the beginning of this as a commercial, commercial viability, uh, you know, a commercially viable uh, process. And when I started surrogacy, you're right. It was very fringe. Not very many people did it. Uh, The things that we heard about in the news weren't very favorable. Uh, The legal process surrounding the journey was not strong at all. So there's a lot of risk involved. So people really stayed away from it. Egg donation was really just coming into its own in the early to mid 90s. And so I was working in IVF clinics during that period of time. And I just observed the need, the growing need and demand specific at that time to egg donation. There was more of a need around egg donation because of its growing success in the treatment of infertility. Surrogacy, not so much. Surrogacy came a little bit later. Um, But to your point, you're absolutely right. Uh, Way back when we did not know a lot about surrogacy. And in the last, I'd say, 10 to 15 years, while egg donation has exploded in the last 20, it's surrogacy now that seems to be more and more in the spotlight as a treatment for intended parents. Absolutely. And, you know, I have friends who have needed sperm donors who um, froze their eggs. They did it IVF. They, I have, you know, friends who are really just... I don't know if it's due to infertility and what's really going on in the world right now, but there's so many people. I have friends who even use surrogates. um, And this just growing up, I didn't know about this. And I think it's so much more common now. And I'm not really sure why um, or maybe why people are struggling with infertility. You know, that's a whole other subject. But I think what you're doing and just making it more common and just the use of social media and it's talked about now. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm excited for our listeners to really just – kind of hear from your opinion, um, just the process of the surrogacy in general. So why don't we kind of start from beginning to end? What is the process of finding a surrogate? You know, is it as simple as I apply, I match with a family, or, you know, is there genetic testing involved? What do you see as from the process? Yeah, it sounds simple, but it's not. Mm -hmm. You know, surrogacy is actually incredibly complex as a process. You know, you're dealing with when I mentioned third party earlier, it truly is a third party, a third person with um, their own set of wants, needs, uh, requirements. And so, you know, putting all those pieces together is a, is a complex process. And so what we do as an organization is, you know, first and foremost, we recruit and we are vigorous around our recruitment process. We are always looking for highly qualified surrogates. Um, That's one of all harm, our hallmarks as an organization. We're really known for uh, our our wonderful women that we recruit and the quality of, of 
their profiles. And so we go out into the world and we recruit by all kinds of, of ways, all kinds of measures that we deploy in terms of marketing. And then internally, what we do is we have a whole team that's just dedicated to the onboarding of these women. So yes, they apply online, we assess their application, we talk to them at length on the phone, we educate them, ask them questions, vice versa, they ask us questions. So our surrogate engagement team is dedicated to the onboarding of these women. In terms of what the screening actually consists of, uh, we look at their obstetrical records and their medical records. So we have a whole medical team in-house that's doing that analysis. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that their previous uh, pregnancies and deliveries were healthy and successful without problems and complications. All right, that's, that's first and foremost. We look at their psychological profile. So we do a psychological screening and assessment of them to make sure that they are informed, they're clear thinking. We look for, you know, any markers that might indicate this would not be a success for them or a successful endeavor. Mm -hmm. uh, we do background checks. We do um, financial checks. We look at their stability. We check the home. So we do a lot to ensure that this is a woman that has made a decision that's not only right for her, but right for her family. She needs to have children of her own before she can qualify as a surrogate. So we want to make sure her home life is stable. She has a good support system. And that's right, not only for her and her family, but of course, for the intended parents that are going through this and are depending upon her. Absolutely. So that's the screening in a nutshell. Out of curiosity, why does the mother need to have children? Is it so that they have support or just that you've already seen them carry their own children? A number of reasons. Um, one, we want to make sure that she has the physical ability to carry a healthy, successful pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So by successful, I mean things that, you know, maybe should be obvious to folks like um, her deliveries were not preterm, mm -hmm. right? They were full term deliveries. Uh, her pregnancy was not mired by uh, preeclampsia or gestational diabetes or other things that were complicated for her. Uh, we want to make sure the actual delivery was healthy itself. So, you know, we really want to make sure that health wise, at least there's a precedent that we can look to, to indicate that a, another pregnancy will be just as successful. Every pregnancy is different, of course. So we don't know for sure, but it's a good indicator that she's healthy enough to undergo a pregnancy. Absolutely. So that's the health reason. The other reason is psychological right? We want to ensure that this is a woman who knows what it's like emotionally, psychologically, physically to carry a baby. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also know that she's got children at home. Her life is full. She's connected to her children. You know, there's this myth that surrounds surrogacy that surrogates want to keep the baby. Mm -hmm. That could not be further from the truth for so many reasons. But the primary reason, of course, is that she knows what it's like. She has her own children that she's bonded with. She knows that this is not her baby. She's not genetically linked mm -hmm. to the surrogate pregnancy that she carries. And so those are some of the really important reasons that go into the requirement of having had her own child before. Absolutely. And one thing that you said was that you guys have your own team that goes in and you guys do all of these tests and whether it's psychological or medical, right? You guys are coming in and really giving the mom just the support that they need to, you know, whether it's financially, they might not be able to get these tests done, but it seems as though you guys are really supporting them in every way. So we do a lot of the, um, the risk assessment upfront, right? Mm -hmm. The psychological testing, the background checks. Now an intended parent who comes into our program looking to be matched with a surrogate, they are working with an IVF clinic and a fertility specialist. 
And it's that specialist that actually does all of the testing and the medical assessment for things such as, you know, doing an ultrasound, looking at her ovaries, looking at her uterus, running blood tests. So while we assess past medical records, it's the intended parents, fertility specialists that will do all of the medical assessment going forward. Wow. So it really is this whole collaborative approach. It's not just conceivabilities. It's the family, let's say fertility specialists. So many other people are involved just on this team. So many people involved. Wow. I'm learning a lot right now. And would you say that it's the same for sperm donors, egg donors? Is it all the same? It varies slightly. You know, remember a surrogate needs to be involved in the journey for Mm -hmm. anywhere, let's say uh, 18 to 24 months on average, Mm -hmm. when everything is said and done, right? From the moment she presses submit on that application to the moment she leaves the hospital after giving birth, you know, it's, it's a journey. It's, it's a lengthy process. So we need to invest a little bit more upfront. Some would say a lot more to ensure that we've got somebody that really can go that distance Mm -hmm. Uh, with an egg donor. It is slightly different. They're only involved in the world of infertility, maybe three to six months. Um, six would be kind of on the longer end of the spectrum, honestly. So it's a much shorter duration of time. She's not carrying or gestating a baby. She's taking a protocol of hormones to produce eggs. Those eggs are retrieved and then she's done with the process. So the, the workup, the screening process is a little bit less. They look at different things. For example, you know, an egg donor is really going to have her genetics assessed. Lots of genetic panels are run to see because she's actually passing along her DNA, the embryo and the intended parent's baby. With a surrogate, no DNA is exchanged. It's not passed on. So the screening can differ quite a bit as does the duration of the journey. One thing that I know, and this might seem a little bit shallow, but the Kardashians, they are making it very well known that surrogacy is, you know, the path they had to go on. Kim Kardashian, Khloe Kardashian. And like I said before, I really think that the stigma is kind of disappearing in a way. Hopefully it's disappearing. Why do you think this is? Why now is this so much more, I guess, widely talked about? Is it because infertility is so common or is it just that the world is changing? Yeah, it's such a combination of things, but you're so right. I mean, the normalization that's taken place in the last decade Mm -hmm. is pretty incredible. And I I think it's incredible. And I say it with a smile on my face because it just allows so many more families out there to have children of their own, to, to grow their families, to have access to highly successful treatments. Yeah. And surrogacy is the most successful fertility treatment out there. Wow. You look at all the statistics, it is the most successful. When someone endeavors to do surrogacy, the chances of them going home with a baby are incredibly high, higher than anything else. So, you know, the success rate has helped promote surrogacy. I think when celebrities have been very candid and open about their own journeys, that only helps to normalize it. Advent of same-sex marriage has allowed gay dads to pursue this method of family building. And so it's spreading in that community. And also the legal, you know, prior to, you know, even five, 10 years ago, this really was a legal patchwork in Mm -hmm. the United States. And to some degree, it still is. However, more and more states have implemented very surrogacy-friendly laws that recognize the contracts that are executed and then the parentage that, that subsequently comes upon delivery. So now that states are recognizing more and more out there that surrogacy is a way to build a family and it's a, it's a healthy way and it's a legally protected way, I think just it, it has spurred on 
recognition of surrogacy as a very successful way to build a family. I'm excited by it personally. I don't have children yet, but I, you know, I think, what if I needed to have a surrogate or, you know, what if I had to go down that process? And I know that it's not legal in some states. Is that something that families struggle with? Do they have to travel to a state that maybe it is legal in? What's kind of the process as far as just the legality of it? Sure. So a company like Conceivabilities will orchestrate all of that on their behalf. We will ensure that they are matched with a surrogate, a gestational carrier, a surrogate that resides in a surrogate-friendly state. And what we mean by that is even if there's not a statute on the books, even if there's not an actual law that recognizes surrogacy, they have a precedent of recognizing the contracts within the court system. And so we know if we put in the parentage paperwork within the court system, that the judge will recognize the parentage. And so um, we will ensure when an intended parent comes to us. So as an example, you know, for uh, many years, decades, even New York, which is surprising. I use New York as an example because people are always so surprised to hear that until 2021 surrogacy was illegal in New York, the state of New York, you know, very progressive state. Wow. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, it took a long time to get through legislation there that would recognize surrogacy. So prior to that law, uh, you can imagine the number of intended parents working with, you know, renowned clinics, fertility clinics in New York, and having to go out of state to work with the surrogate to, you know, uh, join, join forces with the surrogate. So we would ensure that we found them a surrogate in a surrogate friendly state, maybe that's Connecticut right next door, they would have the embryo transfer in a surrogate friendly state such as Connecticut, and then since the surrogate resided there, she would give birth in a surrogate-friendly state. And so everything would be protected in that way. And then the intended parents would go back home to New York uh, with a birth certificate in hand and a child that is legally theirs. There's so much more that goes into it that I really don't think people are aware of. So, you know, you've walked us through the beginning of it, just the background checks and really how you guys are so involved with the matching. Then what happens? So you match a family with a surrogate. Again, just from watching shows and movies on this I, and just from friends, I know that they're so much more involved. They have to have a healthy diet and really just the entire pregnancy. They're getting obviously checked as any mother would for just the health of the baby and health of the pregnancy. How much are you guys involved just from that stage? Involved in the oversight yes. of the process? Yeah. Yes. So, you know, we're involved heavily. Mm-hmm. Every step of the way until she's discharged from the hospital and then for two months beyond that to ensure that she's recovering. So, uh, you know, what I love about Tata and learning about the organization is that, you know, you're driven by milestones. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I could it couldn't have resonated more with me, right? Because that's exactly the vigor we put around this process. And it is gated by distinct milestones. And we need to put all of our energy around getting through this one milestone that we're in right now so that we can successfully move into the next milestone. And sometimes we can, you know, pass go and collect $200 really quickly and everything's smooth. And sometimes, you know, we have to backtrack quite a bit. So all the vigor around the milestone achievement is so important to us. And it's, gosh, how many times can I say process in a podcast? It's process, (laughs) process, process. Yep. Um, because what we learned from the vigor around that is how to look around corners, how to mitigate risk, how to see warning signs when they appear, and how to problem solve effectively to keep everything on track. And so we need to be involved every step of the way. You know, there's all kinds of newfangled things coming out there, you know, where people think that this can get 
put on a tech platform or you can go into a chat room or your hairdresser can find you a surrogate. And that sounds great in theory. And sometimes it works out, but a lot of times it doesn't because um, that approach lacks process Mm -hmm. and it lacks insight and experience to know how to do the look around the corners that I mentioned. So, you know, when we manage a journey all the way through, we know kind of the markers. Things are very obvious. Are the medical appointments being adhered to and attended to and information being exchanged appropriately? Is there stability remaining in the household? Uh, Do do health conditions arise that we need to take care of? Are there family issues that arise that we need to help you know, offer support through. So those are some of the things that we really look at. But one of the most important things in a successful surrogacy journey is the match. Uh, We have what we call matching matters. And we believe heavily that investing in the relationship up front, kind of aligning the parties along a value system, along what expectations each party has, you know, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, And getting all of that aired out in the beginning really lays the foundation for a successful match. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you made a point about diet. That's a great one because no, we're not policing the refrigerator. (laughs) We know she's, you know, probably a soccer mom going through the drive-through sometimes during, you know, chaotic nights when she's just got to feed her family. And we trust that those are exceptions and not the rule. And when an intended parent has a good relationship with their gestational carrier, with their surrogate, they can talk through these things. Like what are the diet expectations? Wow. And do do the parties have trust in one another to have those candid discussions? I'll tell you, we have a statistic that we're so proud of. 97% of our surrogate profile presentations to intended parents get a yes. And meaning that we're, we do so much diligence and hard wow. work ahead of time to work on that match that the intended parents say, oh my God, she's wonderful. Yes, we we want to join forces with her. Wow. And do you find that parents come back again? Is that something that's pretty common for you guys? I used you for my first baby. I want my second baby to be with the same surrogate or is that not possible? Sure. Absolutely. It happens. Uh, we call them sibling journeys. Hmm. We, we tend to have a little a little name for Love that. Yeah. just, you know, yep. embraces so much joy in the process. But yes, they do. They come back. And sometimes they work with the same surrogate. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the surrogate has moved on in her life and maybe she's moved on to have, you know, another child, or maybe she's moved to a a state that's not surrogate friendly, or she's just said, I'm a one and done, or, you know, those kinds of things, which is absolutely fine. And other times they can't wait. They're in the delivery room recovering and they're already talking about a sibling journey together. Wow. Wow. So it can be that strong. Absolutely. Process. Yep. And I know we had on, we had um, Ashley Gilden Spitzer who used you guys for surrogacy and she raves and even mentioned matching matters. And she really is such a spokesperson. And one thing that I love is she told us that her surrogate that she used, I believe for her son, came to her son's birthday party. And it really does seem, you had mentioned that they maybe are around for, you know, 24 months and just the whole process in general, but it really can go even further than that. And going back to the Kardashians, Again, I know that they actually had their surrogate come to like a Thanksgiving meal or whatever it was, and just they somewhat become family, which I think is the most exciting part about everything you guys do. It's a journey, and you go through milestones in the entire process, but it's so much more than that. It's really just a a bond and a relationship that's being formed, which 
I commend you on because I think that's incredible that you're able to really allow that to be formed. I think it's so important. It really makes it successful. And surrogates come into the program often with that expectation. That's the way they're wired. Mm -hmm. There are folks out there that will criticize surrogacy. And my first question to them always is, have you ever met a surrogate? Of course, chances are no. (laughs) But if you talk to them, you understand their desire to do this for another family and what motivates them. And they want that deep connection often with an intended parent. They're doing it in part to be able to deliver no pun intended, but to be, to be able to deliver that kind of joy in someone's life. And intended parents come, you know, with a different set of expectations. And what's so interesting is, you know, their mindset to watch that evolve over time, to come in with a little bit of trepidation, uncertainty, uh, almost always, if they're your traditional fertility pa- patient, a lot of pain and trauma and disappointment. And you know, to watch that trepidation and uncertainty evolve into, wow, I think, you know, I I can be optimistic for the first time in a long time to evolve further into, I really, you know, just so enjoy this woman who's my surrogate to pure joy and an unbreakable bond between the two of them at the end. Right. So Ashley's story is a prime example of that. Yep. Look, one of the reasons I even started this whole Tata, uh, talking with Tata community and practice that I have is, I want to make people happy and I also want to show them the results. And I think that's something that we also have in common other than the milestones is you really get to see beginning to end and just how happy you can make people. Is that, you know, obviously I'm sure there's a few reasons why you really started this, but is that one of the reasons, you know, just making people happy in general, which I don't think a lot of people want to do, but don't have the ability to do. Yeah. My motivation's interesting. You know, I started this company, I was pretty young. I started this company before I even had my own children. Wow. So I was approaching this and looking at it through a lens of science, biology, infertility, and the exposure that I had to egg donors inside the clinics Mm -hmm. and the exposure I had to intended parents. And I think it's, you know, kind of your quintessential entrepreneurial trait, right? Where you just see a problem that you want to fix. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what I observed. I saw a problem that I wanted to fix. And at that time, there was no transparency with egg donation. Intended parents didn't even get to see photos. Uh, profiles were extremely limited. The wait time was really long. So all of the things that I got to dig in there and tinker with and fix continued, you know, that that success just spilled over into doing the same for surrogacy. Mm-hmm. Wow! And uh, um, so that's, that's really the genesis for me. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, seeing the end result and the joy and the success that it, that it brought was incredible, a wonderful facet to all of it. I really wanted to ask you, you support the family and the parents as well as the surrogate. So if there is conflict, how is that something that you manage to work through? You know, you're kind of, it's like a lawyer, you're defending both sides, let's say. So what is kind of the process with that? How would you really, if there were to be a conflict, how would you solve it? I love this. So, um, you know, when I mentioned earlier that we have such a rigorous process around assessing each journey Mm -hmm. and looking for, you know, all the, the, the signs mm-hmm. of things maybe aren't so right. But what we do is we've taken those learnings. We've taken 27 years of learnings and we have structured that into a framework and deployed that framework into our program. And it's you know, basically a shared decision-making model. So every 
party needs to come fully aware of this framework that exists. How will we approach escalations and issues that arise? Is this something that could be uh, the onus of the agency? Is this the purview of an attorney? Is this a medical issue? Or is just this something that the parties have to learn to, to work through? Mm-hmm. And we can moderate that. And we do. But we want to bring all parties to the table so both parties can see each other's point of view if it's a, if it's a relationship or match-related issue. Um, so we really look at the genesis of the issue, decide where it belongs, mm-hmm. again, medical, legal, or within the relationship, and then figure out the best course forward. And so um, this shared decision-making framework is really successful um, so that we don't get caught in you know both sides taking cover. Mm-hmm right? And not coming to the table together, taking cover either through, you know, the agency or an attorney. Um, but it rarely gets escalated like that. I'm, I'm telling you, our wow. matching matters methodology, it works. It works. Wow. It works. And very rarely do we have something that's escalated to the point where we need to bring in, you know, outside folks to help us work through it. Wow. So again, you really are involved step by step, every part of the process. And again, I might sound a little bit naive, but let's say, there's um, a medical issue and the baby might need a surgery um, in utero. Is that something that is discussed ahead of time, right? So it seems as though you guys, unless maybe it's a family decision, but is that something that is gone over from medical matters you had mentioned? Is that what's included in that as well? It is. And now you can't think about every problem or every issue that could arise ahead of time. It's an impossibility, which is why anybody endeavoring to pursue surrogacy, either as a surrogate or an intended parent, I always say, look for an agency that's done at least a thousand deliveries. Wow. You know, folks that start agencies because they were a surrogate or intended parent, or even a doctor, like they, they haven't managed all of these journeys and know it can go wrong. So look for someone with the experience. One of the things that we do is when we have that experience, we can bring it to the table ahead of time and say, well, you know, this, this issue may um, better solved by sometimes we do have to look at the contract. Mm-hmm. Maybe we do have to you know, talk to the psychologist, but you, you want to be working with someone that has the history and longevity to solve these problems. And I just wanted to kind of wrap it up with something that I know we I push just with talking with Tata and I send these speech therapists in and families have to trust them and trust that they know what they're doing and they are, you know, their child is in good hands. So how does trust really play such a big role between your families and surrogates and, you know, how do you develop trust? Is it your experience or is this something that, you know, it's just they have to kind of put, you know, their lives in your hands? There is a lot of trust in the process. A trust can be good. And you can say that as long as you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's ahead of time and known all the things to look for. If you recruit people for a living, if you're an employer and you recruit employees, if you've done it long enough, you have a system, right? You have a methodology. You you get a feeling for things. Somebody might look great on paper and say all the right thing. Yeah. But you can't quite put your finger on it. Yep. And you know this because you've interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of people and hired many people and seeing how they perform. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. And so if you do the legwork ahead of time, and you're, and you're an expert in that, you really help to mitigate some of those problems, right? So trust looms large in this, it really does. And so if you do your diligence, then you can trust the process and you can trust 
the professionals that you've, you know, decided to partner with on this journey and trust that, ah, okay, together we can figure out the issues. Absolutely. And as you said before, you have the experience. So your resume really, you prove it. You know, I think that just, I've spoken with a few people who have used you guys and just the reviews are amazing. But I also just think, you know, what you're saying, you, you know what you're doing. So I commend you. I can't talk enough compliments about you. I think this is incredible. Where can our community find you, whether that's your website, social media, where can people find you? Absolutely. They can go to conceivabilities.com. We have a pretty robust website where they can get a lot of information and education about the process. Uh, If they are an intended parent, they can certainly put in an inquiry and we will get right back to them. If they're somebody who's interested in learning more about becoming a surrogate they can even apply through our website Uh, they can find us on social media Uh, we have a very large um, very dominant presence so just typing in conceivabilities we will come right up and um, they can even listen to our very own podcast all things conceivable there we go all things one of the one of the bit all things conceivable and one of the biggest initiatives that we have going right now um, out there that is also something that folks and your listeners might be very interested to hear a little bit more of is our milk bank challenge. We started this challenge last year um, during the national formula shortage to raise awareness and to help promote donations for breast milk. And it just exploded. And so um, we achieved um, almost three quarters of a million ounces of donated breast milk. And one ounce of breast milk, by the way, feeds a a NICU baby one meal. So you can imagine how many meals we delivered to our most vulnerable infants in the NICU. So um, those are also some ways to get involved with conceivabilities and learn more about this community. Absolutely. And we will post that on our page, our website about the Milk Bake Challenge, your podcast and everything. I would love to have you on for a thousand more episodes. I think that what you're saying is important and not enough people, myself included, really knew about this. So thank you so much for coming on. I think this was incredible. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to visit Talking With Tata on Instagram and on Facebook.